So today is Galatians 2, picking up at verse 11 and going to the end of the chapter. And in these 10 verses, what you are going to see is the two powerhouse heavyweights, Peter and Paul, facing off against one another head to head. Let me read to you what's going on. Paul writes, When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in the hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Now, you got to ooh at that, all right? Yeah, let me, let me read it again, and I need, like, pure aghast horror. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. <laughs> Unbelievable, isn't it? When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners Know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ. And not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one, nobody, no one will be justified. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a, lawn make, I, I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ's death is meaningless. Christ died for nothing. And it's here in Galatians 2, verse 11, that it comes to a head. Everything Paul has been building up to, everything Paul has been trying to get these Galatians to see and to understand, even when it means going head to head with the very apostles of Jesus himself, we see Paul coming out of his corner, meeting Peter in the middle of the ring, because when it comes to the gospel, it is worth risking everything. Now, here's the issue, and here's what's going on. I need you to understand within what we call the works of the law, three things. Because in Jesus' day, Jews defined themselves by three things. 
Now, I've shared with you before that if you were to count the commands within the Mosaic law, that covenant that God had entered into with the people of Israel through Moses, and by which he opened the door to be a part of his people, you could count 613 laws. Listen to some of our previous messages in this series if you've missed that. But within those 613, in Jesus' day, there were three key things. Three identity markers. Three values by which the Jews understood themselves as being distinct, separate, and holy unto God. Here's the three things. Circumcision, Sabbath, and purity laws. It's not to say that the other things weren't important. It wasn't to say that that a basis in the strong morality of the Bible was insignificant, but it was these three things that made them different. Today, everyone's circumcised. Well, every guy, practically. But that wasn't the truth in Jesus' day. That was a unique Jewish custom. And they prided themselves by it. It was a sign of the covenant that God entered into with Abraham and his descendants themselves to set them apart as different. The Sabbath. We've become so accustomed because of the way of the Bible to the idea of a day off. And we decided to double down and even make it two. But this was foreign in Jesus' day. This was unique among the Jews to take one day aside. What a waste. What a loss. What laziness. And yet a way for the Jews to say, my entire life, God, is dependent on you. That I need to work every day. And if I don't keep up on the tasks, they will overwhelm me. Worse, my family may starve, but I choose to set one day aside to honor honor you, knowing you will provide for me, you will take care of me. It is an act of faith in you. And number three, purity laws. You know, these are all those weird commands about eat this, don't eat that, touch this, don't touch that, wear this, don't wear that, associate with this, don't associate with that. And of these three purity laws, circumcision and especially, or of these three identity markers, circumcision and the purity laws will play in especially heavy in Galatians. And that's the issue we see at play. Because we see Peter, who's a Jew, who had a revelation just like Paul, that God in Christ had fulfilled the Old Testament laws, had fulfilled the Mosaic Code, and now the people were free. Free to connect with God through Christ and Christ alone, and not through their own efforts of obeying these ways. And Peter, like Paul, saw this vision clearly. But have you noticed this in life, that just because you know something, it doesn't mean you live that way. And just because you understand something doesn't mean when push comes to shove, you'll go that way. You can read in Acts chapter 10. I actually encourage you to do so sometime. 
where Paul, or rather Peter, a devout Jew, refusing to eat the unclean foods, is given a vision by Jesus himself that what God has made clean, no human should dare call unclean. And all of the Old Testament purity laws have been taken away. But it's not just what you eat. It's the people who eat them as well. That the Jews had separated themselves as the called and chosen people of God. But now God is doing a new thing and opening the doors wide, ushering in people of every tribe and nation. No matter how they dress, no matter what they eat. And that God is bringing his spirit to them. Peter so entrenched, so entrenched in being brought up to see these certain foods and these certain people who these foods represent as being outside and unclean. Had a difficult time of coming around, but he comes to become one of the greatest advocates. That is, until certain men from James start coming around. See, the story of Galatians really goes like this. Paul goes to these strange Jewish, non-Jewish, pork-eating Gentiles, and he shares with them the good news and hope of what God has done for them. And they believe it. They come to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. They come to believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord for themselves and for the world. And the Spirit of God is poured out upon them. Word circles around to Jerusalem, the mothership of Judaism. And they want to hear and see what's going on. And some wary of Paul's message, some upset over the, the radicalness of what Paul is doing, some coming from a place of going, Paul, you're stepping out of line. Come, and as Paul will say it, start infiltrating our ranks to spy on the freedom that we have in Christ. And after Paul leaves, they start teaching a countervailing message that Jesus is a good place to start. But you got to build on it from there. Jesus is where you start, but from there you still need to come into being a God-fearing Jew. Or if that's an odd way of putting it, to being a God-fearing person who follows the Mosaic law, including when you rest, what you eat, and what you cut. Peter and Paul, not Mary. They were allies. They were on the same team. They went to bat for each other and fought in the trenches together. They, they were pulling for the same gospel. Paul in Galatians will talk a little bit about 
the friendship, the fellowship, the connection, the agreement that he and Peter had. Let me pop a couple of these verses up on the screen for you. Paul is writing about how Peter treated him, how Paul thought about him, how, Paul acted, how Peter acted in relation to him. Paul says, Peter and the apostles, they praised God because of me. Paul says, they didn't even compel Titus to be circumcised. Paul says, as for those who seemed important, Peter, James, John, they saw I'd been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul says, James, Peter, and John, those pillars, reputed pillars of the church, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. These guys were in it together. These guys were friends, but it's here in Antioch that Peter and Paul go head to head because what happened in Antioch made all the difference for what the Galatians were getting lost in. Peter was eating with Gentiles associating with those Christians that didn't come out of the Jewish way, the Jewish tradition. He was dressing how they dressed, eating what they ate, fellowshipping with them. Until certain people started coming around and Peter started to waver. Have you ever wavered? Have you ever wavered even though you knew better? And have you ever wavered even though before you found yourself in the situation, you told yourself things and prided yourself on things like, oh, I would never do that. I would never be like that until it happens before you. And then Peter's friends come around, his peers come around those who hold their nose a little too high. With an air of condescension, maybe, or judgment against these simple Gentile Christians who either just don't know any better or who are too unholy to care. And Peter, whether it's being afraid of his peers, Peter, whether it's wanting their approval, whether it's not wanting to deal with the flack and the fallout, who knows what it might be, starts to disassociate himself from the Gentiles. And Paul won't have it. Because for Paul, it's far more than just a moral issue. It's far more than just a social issue. For Paul, the very gospel itself is at stake. And let me show you what he says. When I saw that they were not ortho-walking with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you're a Jew and you live like a Gentile. How is it that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish custom, customs, or maybe we can sub it in with one word, hypocrisy? 
Peter, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Now, if you read this verse in your own translations, it'll come out in different ways. It'll say stuff like this. When I saw that they were not walking in line with the gospel, when I saw that they were not walking upright with the gospel, while I saw that they were not acting in accord with the gospel or any other kind of variation that's out there, I love the underlying word that's behind it. That's often lost in translation that I want to teach you today. Ortho-walking. Orthopedeo is how they would say it in the Greek language. But I'm taking part of the last of that for you. I've introduced to you orthodoxy already. Listen to past messages if you want to hear it last week or the week before. Orthodoxy is about right belief. Straight as an arrow belief, right? Upright belief. Who's gone to an orthodontist? What does an orthodontist do? He straightens out your teeth. And he tortures you. <laughs> and bankrupts you. But they straighten out your teeth. Sorry to our orthodontists who are listening today. But the shoe fits. <laughs> but they straighten your teeth. They get it right, they get it straight. Orthodoxy is about getting your beliefs about who God is and, and what he's up to straight. But there are so many people who claim and pride themselves on being orthodox, yet don't orthowalk. And Peter wasn't orthowalking. Oh, he knew the gospel. He knew the freedom that was there in Christ. He knew that they were no longer bound to follow the Mosaic law, to be in good with God, but he wasn't living by his beliefs. He was regressing, going back for perception's sake, for fear, whatever it might be, to putting on the old ways and getting out of whack, to no longer walking Straight. It makes me wonder if at heart Peter was a peacekeeper, trying somehow to keep different factions together, to find a harmony between them by doing what was expedient and convenient in the moment. You know, Jesus will say, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. But it strikes me that sometimes we confuse, and I believe that Peter may have too, peacemaking and peacekeeping, because they are two very different things. Often in the guise of being a peacemaker, we become peacekeepers Shaving the edge off truth. Compromising our beliefs. In living in expedient ways that are fundamentally detrimental to those whom they ultimately affect. And Paul won't have it. If our connection with God is about what God has done for me, then I won't risk anything, anything that communicates otherwise. 
If I have truly been set free in Jesus Christ and no longer have to follow the works of the law, I will tolerate nothing that communicates to people otherwise and dare shakes them, confuses them, or perverts them and their faith. And it's from this place that Paul launches into what is one of the most powerful, clear statements in the Bible of the gospel that you will find. We've been memorizing this these past several weeks. I encourage you to do it. Burn it in your brain, especially the last paragraph. But picking up a paragraph two, look at what Paul has to say. Uh, paragraph one, I'm sorry. I'll start at the beginning. We, he says, who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too, we Jews, also have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Why? Because no one, no one, not even Peter or Paul themselves, will be justified by observing the law. He goes on, if while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we are sinners, does that mean Christ promotes sin? No. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. And read the last paragraph with me. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. That is the gospel right there. And as you're reading it, I suspect that you both sense that there's something profound in this and yet kind of confusing as well. Gleams of light shooting in where Paul's like, oh man, I get it, but then other things may be going, what are you talking about here? Let me unpack maybe just two or three things for you. Do you see that first paragraph? Please say yes. yes. Do you see in that first paragraph, in the second line, observing the law? Please say yes. yes. Whenever you see the law talked about in Galatians, you need to jump to the 613 commands of Moses that codified and described the covenant relationship that God had with his people. Which means anytime you see the phrase, you can go God's law, Mosaic law, Anything like that. Make sense? Now, in the second line of the first paragraph, you can see the second word. It is justified. Do you see that? Please say yes. I want to show you what lurks behind this word because the connotation is missed in English. It is the exact same word that you see in the very last line at the very bottom of the screen. Righteousness. Do you think of justice and righteousness as the same thing? Or to be justified or righteous as being the same thing? Maybe, maybe not. But for Paul, it was the same thing. 
What you can do is, if you're looking at that first sentence, is take out the word justified and make up a word, but it's a word that the English language needs to be made up because it communicates the Bible more clearly. Righteousified. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not made righteous, called righteous in God's sight, declared righteous, put into a righteous state. I don't know the right nuance to give you today. So let's simply say this. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not righteousified by following the Mosaic law, by obeying the commands of God, but by faith in what Christ has done for me. I love how the message translation puts this section. And I want to read it to you this morning. Hopefully to bring clarity and applicability to the gravity and weight and punch that this passage is trying to bring. This is what it says. We Jews know that we have no advantage over non-Jewish sinners. We know very well that we are not set right with God by rule-keeping, but only through personal faith in Jesus Christ. How do we know? We tried, and we had the best system of rules the world has ever seen. Convinced that no human being can please God by self-improvement. We believed in Jesus as the Messiah so that we might be set right before God by trusting in the Messiah, not by trying to be good. Isn't that amazing? It goes on. Have some of you noticed that we are not yet perfect? Not a great surprise, right? And are you ready to make the accusation that since people like me who go through Christ in order to get things right with God aren't perfectly virtuous, that Christ must therefore be an accessory to sin? The accusation is frivolous. If I was trying to be good, I would be rebuilding the same old barn that I tore down. I would be acting as a pretender. What actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. So I quit being a lawman so that I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. And I am no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me, and gave himself up for me. I am not going to go back on that. Is it not clear to you that to go back to that old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything 
personal and free in my relationship with God? I refuse to do that, to repudiate God's grace. If a living relationship with God could come by rule-keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. That is the gospel. That is the message of Galatians. That is the message and belief that Paul was willing to go head to head with Peter about. That is what is driving his writing, his emotion, his passion, his fervor. It is a completely new identity found in Christ alone that defines and changes everything. What God has done, not what I do. That is the heart of what Jesus has come to bring. That is the heart of Christianity, of this church. And the message that Paul invites us to root ourselves in. It is this, that over 20 people in this congregation have been impacted by, have had their own lives shaped and changed by, that has moved them to find their identity in Christ, in Christ alone, and give themselves in trust and faith wholeheartedly to him. Coming up, we have a family who's bringing their child to be baptized. In Christ alone is the proclamation here. In a moment, we have three high school students who are coming forward to own their identity in Christ and proclaim their faith in him. In a moment, we have over 20 people in our church community who have been impacted by this gospel message here, that are looking to profess their faith in Christ again and commit to what God is doing among this group of people.